Hour number two of Canuck Central coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Always appreciate our live listeners on Sportsnet 650. Also appreciate if you listen on the podcast. And right now you'll be able to find hour one of this Monday show and our first hit of the season with Frank Saravalli, which... Uh, may have been a little bit spicier than I would have expected it to, Sat, but when you have a big-time negotiation going on with your captain, mm-hmm. uh, there's always some uh, news to go around. Yeah, seemingly so, uh, especially around uh, Canucks uh, captain. So uh, check out Hour 1 of the podcast. You can hear our uh, hit with Frank Saravalli, who details uh, how some of the negotiations have gone or not gone <laughs> with the uh, Canucks and the captain. Bo Horvat. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. That way you never miss an edition of the show. And during the season, every single post-game show is uploaded to our podcast page. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, joins us every Monday. It's Don Taylor, Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV. Uh, last week, you, you told us about your mole problem. Have you figured out the mole problem? <laughs> uh, no, but I've got, had a lot of suggestions. One involves cat poop. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you put it down the hole, and apparently, and, and I've got a fine sign. I don't have a cat. You just go, go like, <laughs> knock on your neighbor's door. You got a cat? Can I steal your I, litter I, box? I honestly considered that. And uh, you put it down the hole, and apparently the, the mole's, you know, they, they fear a predator and they, they leave your, your lawn. And, and then the irony there is that, that if I do borrow it from my neighbors, the mole will probably end up in his place. So, <laughs> Well, then you think he planted the mole. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I could see that. Trust me. <laughs> if you knew my neighbor, I will get him. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, last hour we, we were talking with, uh, with Frank Saravalli, and uh, getting into it about uh, Bo Horvat and the, and the negotiations with the captain, he mentioned uh, the the Canucks opening uh, offer or started negotiations on a contract that would have started with a five on the average annual value. Don, uh, Donnie, uh, yeah. that's that seems low for where uh, a lot of projections would put Bo Horvat. That that's negotiate. It is. It, it does seem low. There's no way that's gonna that, that, that that's gonna happen. It's, you know, uh, 30 plus goal score, 31 goals. I, I think that uh, he's going to get a lot more than that. But that's negotiations. Um, it, it's it seems uh, you know it is negotiations, but it seems a little insulting. And I wonder if if, if Bo uh, if Bo feels that way, or maybe it's a maybe it could be a window into what we should expect from this management groups a group in that. You know, it's it's been Benning esque so far. Uh, you know, w- without you know criticizing too much, it's very very early. But you know, is there a chance they depart? You know, would, uh, would Bo Horvat would would leave for for something in in the future? Um, uh, it's like, does anybody at this point really have an idea what their focus is? Like, I'm not like I, you tell me, you guys. I don't really know at this point. It it seems like they're. They they're happy with the way they they finished. I think I'm not really sure. We'll see what happens with Bo, but I'm not. I haven't really got. I haven't got a bead on this on this management group yet. Yet, so maybe I, I'm at a point where nothing would surprise me. But five is definitely low. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, the yeah. one thing we haven't seen yet, Donnie, and to your point, 
they haven't made a tough decision yet, right? Yeah. I mean, the toughest decision yeah. they've made was giving JT Miller all that money. Yeah, Mikheyev and some of the guys they signed or whatever and giving Brock an extension, but they haven't made a tough decision as in let's cut ties with somebody on this team. And if you were going to ask, if you were going to say the toughest decision they could make was probably going to be the captain of the team. So in some way, maybe the toughest decision does still come down to the captain. I mean, I, I still be surprised like you if they ultimately trade him, but they kept talking about making one tough decision. They're going to have to make something unpopular happen and yada, yada, yada. And what would be more controversial than trading your captain? Well, uh, to me, they're 0 for 2 for tough, tough decisions. And I think this market wants one. And I'm not saying I personally want to see Bo Horvat leave. But to me, they're 0 for 2 in that, you know, a, a tough decision would have been letting go of, uh, of JT Miller and, and getting, hopefully, a bucket load of picks and prospects in return. The other tough decision that they didn't make that, you know, I, I, I think some people were waiting for, not everybody, but was trading down at the draft. We see that more in the NFL than the NHL. But they talked about it during the draft coverage on, on Sportsnet about uh, the possibility of taking that number 15 pick and accumulating more picks, maybe something later in the first round, maybe something in the third, whatever the case may be. I thought they might do that. They did. Then the JT Miller came along, they resigned him, so they didn't do that. So it's 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 kind of status quo right now. So up next, Bo Horvat. So I, I again, I guess... That will tell us, I think, as much as anything, in totality, along with what they did with number 15 and what they did with J.T. Miller, what they do with Bo Horvath will tell us, okay, they're trying to you know, build for the future, or do they really believe in this core under Bruce Boudreau? It's, uh, there's a tremendous amount of you know, what is the next move for this team because we, we expected more to happen over the course of the summer, as, as you alluded to, uh, that, that didn't really pan out, but you know, when it came to JT, when it comes to Bo, like, I, I think the reason there's so much, um, speculation here, Donnie is just simply like, we all know we can all do math, you know, like there's, there's gotta be somebody somewhere that comes off the book at some point. Maybe it's not Bo. Maybe it ends up being Brock or Garland or somebody else. It's just, we all know there's a trade that's eventually going to happen here. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I, there's a belief, I guess, that a lot of belief. There's all sorts of reports out there that the cap is going to go up, but I, I'm sure you guys have heard what we're hearing, and that's that it's not going to go up at one giant leap. It's, it's going to go up slowly and, and eventually get to a point where it's a lot more than it is now, but that, 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 could, uh, that could very well take time. I just don't know. I just don't know what the, the, the focus is right now. It's just uh, it's inter- always intriguing, always always. Uh, interesting but maybe there's more of a belief in this group than we thought and i say that because uh, i when when at, at the end of the season when they talked about zone exits and uh, and other things uh, it seemed like there wasn't a belief at least not a belief in boudreau but they bring back boudreau they bring back jt miller they don't trade number 15 now what are they going to do with horvat what well, offers out there so it seems real status quo right now. So it's, it's really, uh, really interesting and a bit surprising. Well, and, you know, we've heard so many rumors about players thereafter, you know, defensemen. You heard Ethan Bear and Niels Lundqvist. Yeah. Now Lundqvist got traded to the Dallas Stars by the Rangers. But I know, Donnie, you guys talked to Friedman today on your show, Donnie and Dolly. And he mentioned Lundqvist. You guys may, I know Dolly also mentioned Lundqvist. Now he's been traded to the Stars. But what it does show, though, is if you're in the market for a guy like, like Nils Lundqvist, or at least 
hanging around there. You're willing to give something up a value. Now, I don't think they were willing to give up a first-round pick, but I just kind of wonder, if you're in the market, that means you're still probably looking to make something happen, and maybe they're still willing to trade something of some value somewhere. I just don't know what that is because they're not trading a first-round pick. They don't have a lot of prospects. Would it be a guy like Niels Hoaglander? Yeah, maybe. Maybe or you, you mentioned uh, you, you guys mentioned Garland earlier. Uh, you know his his name is you know he hasn't been here all that long, but his name's been thrown around a bit. You know Brock Besser. Maybe he ends up closer to the home and a tough time for his family. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I'm just, I just don't know at this point. But uh, you know, real interesting. I, I and then the other thing is there was all this talk today, uh, and, and Dolly Wall can't get Lundquist's first name right, so thank God he didn't come here. <laughs> Niles, uh, like it's Fraser Crane, right? <laughs> I know. And then there was Neil, like like Harry Neil or Neil DeYoung. It was, he was all over the place. So actually, it would have been great if he would have come here. It would have been a whole lot of fun. But have things changed? Because as we saw in the golf course interviews today out at Northview, you know, Quinn Hughes is all in on moving to the right side, at least in the offensive zone. So does that change the way they think as, as well? Um, it's just hard to get – I keep repeating myself, guys, and I apologize. It's just hard to get a read on, on, on the focus right now, and it, it seems status quo is, is what's going to happen, at least in the short term. How do you feel like the, the excitement in the market, do you feel it going into this season for this team, Donnie? Well, it's hey, it's Canada, it's hockey. So, yes, yeah. okay, <laughs> you know yeah. – and and I, I think though when you look around the division, it gets a little bit frightening. I mean, LA making the playoffs last year. I mean, nobody saw that. And then you expect Vegas to be better. You know, Calgary lost some outstanding players and ended up possibly with a better lineup. Edmonton's got McDavid. We heard the news today that they've got some real interesting PTOs. I mean, it's always exciting, guys. It's just you know, it's the, the air is getting crisp. It's hockey. It's fun and. Uh, and and I guess I, I guess maybe the excitement would come from a full season with Boudreaux, who was a whole lot of fun, and the way they played under Boudreaux, and let's see what they can do uh, over 80, 82 games, and adding some speed with with Mikheyev, the experiment with uh, Hughes on the right side, which you know might be the solution within, and then you've got yourself a world class goaltender as well. So uh, I, there's, there's always excitement when it comes to hockey in Canada. And, you know, they, they, I mean, every team, well, maybe not Montreal, I don't know, but it seems every team has, has some belief uh, when it comes to this time of year. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right, Donnie. This time of year, there's always that type of optimism. And, you know, you never know what can happen positively, right? Yeah. So you feel good. But, I mean, one of the things we've seen with this team, they've gotten off to good starts and it hasn't mattered before. With Bruce Boudreaux, to your point, the thing we have to also keep in mind here, Donnie, is Bruce Boudreaux is coaching for his job this upcoming season, too. Like, he, he only has one more year. He he wanted an extension. He said so himself. He didn't get it. He's fine coming back this year. But I think even Bruce Boudreaux, maybe he's the guy in the organization who might be the most motivated right now. Yeah. You know, Sat, every week it's like you make a good point and I and, you know, I write them down and I steal them. It's just outstanding. But yeah, we forget about that. That, you know, there was some thought he wouldn't come back. And, you know, you listen to the guy uh, talk. He loves, he loves this game. And I, I know he's dabbled in the media. He wants to be a coach. I mean, heck, he asked to be a, an assistant coach with the Leafs. He wants to be behind a bench. He wants to be, he wants to put the skates on and be at practice. He, you know, he I, he would love to turn things around here in Vancouver. It, absolutely. So, yeah, he probably is as motivated as, as anybody else in this organization. 
It's uh, it's always like. Gabby is, uh, he's one of the more lovable characters in, in the NHL scene. Um, and, and I think, you know, that his, um, you know, light feeling, at least with the media, seemed to kind of breathe life into this room after things got, got so dark last year. And I kind of, the, the feeling I get around the team, Donnie, is, the, and, and, you know, the marketing is now unfinished business, but... I, I think this team just feels like as long as we get off to an okay start, we're going to be okay. Like we just can't dig the hole that we did last year. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, you look at any successful season uh, the Canucks have had or any team has had, I always look at two stats, obviously wins and losses and points. But when a team also starts off well defensively, when, it, when a team is near the top of the league and goals against average, and even in the deep stats defensively, they're on their way to, I'm talking about the first 20 games. Nine times out of ten, they always have a really, really good season. So we're talking a lot about about centers, about Quinn Hughes, you know, offensively on that right-hand side, you know, about the offense. But if if they can come out of the gate decently, you know, and and gather points and while doing so, uh, play well defensively, that's, that's just such a big key. So it's not just about entertaining people with a whole lot of goals. It's about winning with defense as well. So... Uh, look for that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, and the other thing too, Donnie, and which I find really funny with with this team overall is we head into this season and we always have a player that we're either down on or super hyped up on and that really changes. And this year, I just kind of wonder if one of those players is, that, that really bounces back, and we, well, I wouldn't say bounces back, but, but really kind of reinvigorates the fan base with his potential, it would have to be Elias Pettersson. Because I think if this team is going to do anything different than what they've done in previous years and take that step as a team, they need one player outside of Quinn Hughes to really emerge as a bona fide superstar player. Yeah, and he played like a superstar in the later going. He had 17 points in his uh, first 34 games uh, last year, coming off uh, you know, the contract negotiations and the wrist problems as well. Then he was well a point after a game. For me, he was well a point a game player after that. So that was really promising. And and then, you know, he, he looks thicker. He, he he looks better, better haircut, I think, personally. And uh, that's important. Uh, more aerodynamic. So there's that. <laughs> but but he, he, he just looked at the end of last year that, he got past that adversity and came through. And then the other thing he said uh, last week, I believe, he said last week that he was almost happy. There was a part of him that was happy that he went through that adversity last year, that he learned from it, that he just didn't have confidence. Remember him, you know, double clutching on his shot on the power play. And it, you could just see the gears turning on, on the, at the side, on the side of his helmet figuratively. It, it, he just seemed to be overthinking and he was underconfident. You know, the wrist was probably bothering him. Maybe the contract negotiations pissed him off. I'm not sure. But then he got through all that. And if he can get through all that and build confidence and pile up points on top of all of that, then I think he'd become a better hockey player. So I love that he said that, that he was happy that he went through that adversity because for a lot of players that might crush them and it obviously didn't do that to him. How much fun are you having learning the names of, uh, of these young stars to do the highlights on the show? Yeah, yeah, Klimovich, <laughs> Klimovich, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'll get Schmeeman. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you have an easier time with the names than Dolly does, though. Yeah, I see. I can't go wrong, right? Because no matter how much I, I mispronounce something, 
Uh, I know if he's going to go one better or one worse, depending how you look at it. So I really can't lose, but we'll, we'll somehow get there. <laughs> uh, last thing before we let you go, Donnie, um, it, it's a little bit of off the beaten path, yeah. but like, um, I'm just curious, like, would you be in on a, on a Blue Jays Mariners series? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, how long have we waited? Right. You know, mid seventies. Absolutely. Because I think, I think Vancouver is, I, 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 my guess is, and we joke about it, and you know, you know, you know about, about Toronto and the anti-Toronto feel here, and you know, sorry, Dad, but the anti-Toronto <laughs> feel here in, here in Vancouver. But I, 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 I don't, I haven't taken a poll, I haven't seen any, but I venture to guess that there's more Jays fans than Mariners. But it'll be interesting to see if the Mariners actually did something and did meet the Jays in the playoffs. What that would mean for this market. The Mariners haven't given anybody any reason to cheer from them. For them, this will be, uh, you know, they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, only the fifth time in their existence that they've made the playoffs, Crazy. and they haven't made the playoffs since '01. Their 116 win season. So there's just been nothing to cheer for. So of course there's going to be more Jays fans. I mean, it's a Canadian team. This team is really, really dynamic. It's hard not not to like them. But we just haven't seen this before. We've been waiting a long time, and it'll just be fun to see how the, the Vancouver market reacts to to two teams that you know so many people in in this market care about, but just not not enough. Uh, there should be more Mariners fans here, but they just haven't done anything. Yeah, when you're that bad for that long, it's uh, it's yeah. kind of tough. Hey, Donnie, always appreciate the time and the insights. Thanks. Always fun, guys. Thanks a lot. I uh I know I know some of our podcasts are gonna be like, What are you doing talking about baseball? But like I don't know. Oh, that's ca- interesting. Mariners and Jays. I'm here for it. I'm here for it as well. Just don't start on the road if you're the Jays because you're not winning. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get the first wild card spot. Yeah. You either have to get the world first wild card spot or the third. You think that's that's the way to go? <sighs> you don't want to play the Guardians? <laughs> Come on. The Mariners have uh, the easiest schedule of the wildcard teams remaining. But, yeah, they've uh, lost three in a row, though. Yeah. Uh, Might have to great. start winning games. <laughs> Might have to figure that one out. But uh, I, like, I, I love to face the American League Central winner yeah. as a third wildcard team. Mm-hmm. Cleveland? So that's yeah. I mean, it's was Cleveland, yeah, and you're the Guardians. So, I mean... Cleveland's ability me. to play, like, small ball, though, doesn't... Yeah. Doesn't doesn't excite me for the, the Blue I get Jays. It, but, I mean, I'd, I'd rather... If I'm starting on the road, I'd rather start on the road in Cleveland... Yeah. And start on the road in Seattle is my point. So I, th- I think you want to get the first wild card spot. Or I don't. I don't want to face a Rays on the road either. No, I, I wonder if Seattle would like limit tickets to Vancouverites. You know what? They've had good crowds this year. They have Safeco. Oh, not Safeco. I'm calling it Safe. But T-Mobile, T-Mobile Park. I think they've they're averaging over twenty eight thousand fans. Yeah. Which in Major League Baseball puts them in the top half of the league in attendance. Yeah. The Jays are like top eight. Yeah. Or top nine. I think they're third or fourth in the American League. This playoff push has really yeah. gotten uh, gotten Seattle baseball back back on the radar. All right, it's enough baseball talk from you, Dan. Um, always a little bit obliged, though. So, a couple of things. Uh, you know, we talk about right shot defenseman there with Donnie, Ethan Bear. Thinking about the player sat and kind of when IMAC dropped the the report yesterday mm-hmm. and I start going back and, and watching a little bit, watching some highlights and looking at his numbers and you know, what went wrong and his year started great last year in Carolina. Then he got COVID never really recovered from that played with Jakob Slavin to start the year. So, you know, they had high hopes, but it just never really worked out. Now they have Brent Burns. And so bear is surplus to requirements. 
and it's pretty obvious. In Edmonton, a couple of years ago, like Adam Larson broke his foot at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. And Bear stepped in and played top four minutes against well. big competition, like Tufts, mm-hmm. and performed fairly well. Yeah. And, y- you know, his underlying numbers have always been strong. There are yeah. a lot of things to like about his game. He's a bit undersized and... There are certain parts of his game. Yeah, he's more of an offensive type of guy, puck-moving type of defenseman, right? But now, also doesn't really profile as a guy who's going to put up a lot of points, even no. though he moves the puck well and does some of those things. And he's decent defensively, but not a stud. Like, he's just a nice kind of all-around player that hasn't yet fit in. He's I not think, a shut-down D-man, though. No. So it's kind of like one of those things that like, he can play for you, but what is he ultimately? I think that that's yeah. a part of the problem. So Because you look at his underlying numbers, they're positives, and people are wondering, like, well, if, if Carolina... Is such an analytics organ analytically inclined organization. Here's this guy with these great underlying numbers. Why would they trade him or not play him? Well, because fits aren't just about numbers. And just because a team is analytically inclined, it doesn't mean that they don't understand fits. And just yeah. because a guy has good analytics, does it fit in with our team and our partnerships and how we want to play? And then the other part, which has been documented with Ethan Bear, is his conditioning. Yeah. If there is one coach in the National Hockey League you don't want to have any conditioning issues with, it's Rod Brendamore. Uh, to play that up-tempo style. Yeah, so it's, it's it could just be a fit there. And, and just because he's not in the shape or he, his body's not built the way other guys are, not to say he's fat or whatever, but he's not going to, he's going to always kind of look more like a Phil Kessel, mm-hmm. at least perceptually, even though yeah. Kessel's in better shape than people give him credit for, then he's going to look like a guy who's jacked up or whatever. So I wonder if that part of it also played into it. He didn't do great in conditioning. You go to Carolina, Rod Brindamore is taking part in the conditioning drills. He's like killing himself essentially. People are like they're like what this guy's insane. Like yeah. he's doing the same drills we're doing. He's like passed out on the in the dressing room. This is our head coach. I mean, this guy's insane. So if he's doing those sort of things, his expectation is our players have to be in great shape. So I wonder if that didn't start off. That probably put him behind the eight ball with with Brindamore a little bit. So there is reasons for optimism to be like, okay, this is a player who's good, has a fit in, and there's a place he might evolve into and get comfortable with. The question is, what is he as a player? Because he hasn't established that yet. And is this the place where you can find that out? I, I, I like the idea of taking a chance on on a player with his profile to this point. Like yeah. there's there's some good and there's you know some things that aren't the best, but you're not finding a perfect solution to play right shot defense for you if you're the Vancouver Canucks. So is it a player you can work with? Is it a player that you can see fitting potentially next to Quinn Hughes? You know, (laughs) not like the Canucks had it on their blueprint that Luke Shen was going to be ultimately the fit they wanted to play with Quinn Hughes. No, it just sort of happened that way. But there's also the issue of, like, you still have Tucker Pullman signed for a bunch of years at about that same sort of number range. You still have Tyler Myers there on Mm -hmm. the right side. You know you're comfortable with Luke Shen playing alongside Quinn Hughes if it doesn't work experimenting him on the right. So all of these factors sort of play into it for me on how you should evaluate what makes sense to give up in trade. And I really don't think... Like, if... if you have the idea of trading Nils Hoaglander, I I don't think that's the move for me. No, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. I mean, if I'm trading Nils Hoaglander, I would have done it for Nils Lundqvist. And even that may not have been enough. I mean, I would have thrown something else on top of that maybe. Yeah. Sure. I'm not talking about a second round pick or anything like that, but something else to make it happen, whether that's Di Pietro, whether that's the fourth round pick the Rangers gave up even yeah. or something, something along those lines to make it happen, yes. But I'm not trading Hoaglander for Ethan Bear. Yeah. At least that's not what I would do. I don't know if this organization would. And like I mentioned earlier, 
I didn't really get, we didn't get into it a ton, but I wonder if Vancouver was more interested in Lundquist than they were Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they may have been willing to move Hoaglander for him. I'm just saying, this is just me speculating and, and wondering. I'm not sure they would do that for Ethan Bear. Right. But I mean, who knows? Um, in the right shot D market, sometimes you have to go into a place that's a little bit more uncomfortable than you'd like it to be in order to take a chance on a player. But Bear is the one that's still out there and available, and we know it. But I don't know if there's a trade fit there for the Vancouver Canucks, ultimately, is how I think this plays out. Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw are in the Kintec studio. It is Canuck Central. Canucks Central coming to you from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star, 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 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Yeah, it's Canucks Central. Also, we're brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. So a couple of things happened uh, today. You heard from uh, Canucks at the Jake Milford. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were um, uh, on location, the, the people show with Bick Nazar and Randy Janda. So Bruce Boudreaux, I mean, he's, he's already done so many interviews. He, he's so friendly, talks to everybody. Yes. So, <laughs> so I mean, my biggest takeaway was uh, how well in tune. Like we knew, we know he's a wrestling fan. Yeah, I didn't know he had all the wrestling schedule down as well as he did. <laughs> um, he's he's he might be going to the big event over at uh, the P uh, Pacific Coliseum uh, this Saturday. His buddy uh, Kevin Owens. He already sent him a, a Canucks jersey. He said, but so he better wear it on Saturday. Uh, one thing we haven't heard uh, Boudreaux talk about too much, strangely, is. Ilya Mikheyev. Mm. And, you know, Mikheyev is the the big off-season signing, but because of everything else that's gone on, we haven't really discussed Mikheyev's acquisition as much. And the thing that struck me about Boudreaux is the idea that Mikheyev has more offense in him than what he's shown to this point of his NHL career. Here's Bruce Boudreaux from the People Show earlier today. Well, you know, he's as fast as any player in the NHL. Plus, I, I get, um, like, whether it's good or bad, I end up watching the Leafs all the time. But, I mean, um, especially when you're in Vancouver because it's a 4 o'clock game and yep. you see it, you get your games at 7. So it's um, uh, he scores 21 goals in 53 games, playing on a third line with no power play opportunities. Gets chance after chance after chance. And we're saying, like, I mean, you know, I mean, I've seen guys do this before where they've had years where they weren't much of a scorer and then all of a sudden it pops up and, and being in a top six role, which I'm sure he's going to be playing in, uh, is it might allow for him to be really more creative and get more confident scoring goals. And, and I think that'll be, that'll be great. So I'm excited to see, see what he brings. So there's Bruce Boudreaux mm-hmm. and Ilya Mikheyev. Yeah, admitted to watching lots of Leafs games. 
Um, I, if I were to say the same thing <laughs> that Bruce Boudreaux just said, yeah. like, would I get away with it? Probably not. No, no probably no. not. Like, oh yeah, you know, it just so happens I I watch all of the Leafs games. <laughs> I, I don't miss the Leafs games. Um, I watch them on delay. I just, he, he, I, I just happen to watch them. I all. just happen to love the Leafs. Um, but what I, th- it's easy to look at that and just say, you know what? Hey, what is he going to say? You know, they sign a guy who scored. He, he can come here and provide more offense. But what Bruce said though about Mikheyev is maybe his greatest trait outside of his speed. He creates scoring chances. Really good at creating scoring chances. And if you start converting your scoring chances, gaining confidence on that and working on that, and the fact that he scored over 20 goals, some people say he only has a couple of moves, but he's gotten good at those moves and he scores. People said the same thing about Alex Burrows. Yeah. And he continually scored 27, 30 goals. Every year, 25 goals. Just consistently scored that many goals. And it's like, well, he just makes the one kind of, you know, breakaway move is the same one, the fake, and then the backhand move. The goals are all kind of the same. But guess what? When you figure it out, you kind of figure it out a little bit. And if they really project he's a guy who's figured that out and is going to be a bona fide 20-plus goal scorer every single year and maybe can hit over 30 goals, well, then that contract makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, Dan? Because you look at it and say, well, he's making 4.75. But if you're scoring 25 to 30 goals, yeah, 4.75 is going to look like a bargain. And playing a, a big role on the penalty kill. And the speed know. and the tenacity he plays with. There's uh, a couple of things about Mikheyev, you know, Year over year, he gained or took 40 more shots last year than he did the year prior. So, mm-hmm. yes, his shooting percentage was a little bit inflated, but he was also getting a lot more opportunities to shoot. And can he take that up a little bit more? Does he Is he able to get another 20 to 30 shots uh, over the course of a season? And that does that make up for some of the uh, mm-hmm. shooting percentage regression? Uh, there's going to be opportunity for him here. More minutes every night. And I, I think the big question is, which center does he play with? And how does that look for Ilya Mikheyev? That's still a bit of an unknown until the weekend. It was revealing that he said he's going to play in the top six. Yeah. Now, if Vancouver does the top nine the way we talked about with with Pedersen, Miller, and Horvat, then it's it's not so much about your top six. It's all going to be evened out. So I think that gives them a little bit of a, you know, out in terms of what what he, what his position ultimately is. But I want to see him with Bo to start off. Real straight ahead, direct. Straight game. ahead, direct. And, yeah. and, just, and see if see if you just crush teams wait, with, with that. And, you know, the third guy, if you have a more of a playmaker with them, um, I think that could help open things up a little bit, whether that's Karna Garland or whether that's somebody else. I think that could be really interesting in terms of how the line can look. And, and even with a guy like JT Miller, I think would be interesting because I think JT, Dan, can play with just about anybody. And if you looked at JT's defensive ability, he, it, it wasn't great this year playing this past year playing center. And if he gets a little bit better at it, you have Mikheyev alongside of him. And Bo showed at least that if he's playing with Pearson, they're going to break even in their matchups at the very least. So I think those two are the ones that I look at off the bat, either McKay, either Miller or Bo Horvat. The other interesting uh, bit of commentary that was going on today, uh, Quinn Hughes spoke about playing the right side and the way he phrased it almost made it sound like it was more of a situational type thing yeah. than a full-time 
you know, I'm moving over to the right side and I'm playing the right side all year long. This it, is what I do now. Yeah. It was, it was more of like, yeah, hey, uh, an offensive zone starts and some different types of situations. Maybe if we're down a goal, I, I could see that. I also found what Boudreaux said about it to be a little bit revealing for me as well in, hey, maybe let's not draw up the lines as Quinn Hughes being stapled to the right side all year long. Here's Bruce Boudreaux on Quinn Hughes potentially playing on the right. Quinn and Luke played tremendous together last year, and Quinn was plus 20-plus. They were he'd been a big minus player in the past. But, I mean, um, we, we just thought that if you know we could balance out it would it would allow uh, OEL to be a little more offensive a little more creative um, and so I mean all of these things uh, um, it's experimental like I mean I mean it's not hard to throw Quinn back on the left side and but I mean in training camp is when you you see how chemistry works in certain situations so we said let's 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 try this out and see how it goes so what I took away from that is coach knows he can trust Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen, and that's probably the pair we see a lot of this year. Yeah, I mean, my only question about that, my biggest question, Dan, is around Luke Shen, his overall pace. A right. little bit older. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit wiser. Yeah, a little bit wiser. Game gets quicker. But if he can play the same way, he's fantastic. I think that, I mean, that's my only question with him. But to your point and to Boudreaux's point, you know that pairing is going to work. And believe it or not, Quinn's best partner last year was Luke Shen. Yeah. It didn't, like, out of all the guys he played with, Luke Shen was his best partner last year. It was the best option for the team last year was playing with, with him. And I bet you that's that's what we're going to see for the most part this season too. For all the talk around it and all the all the time we spend discussing it as well as a possibility, ultimately it's a long term thing. If Quinn can play the right side, it helps it makes it easier as we've talked about in solving your left side and all solving your other problems and everything. But for this upcoming season, whether you play Quinn on the right or the left, you're still left with the same equation. Yeah, it doesn't really change. You know, we we said the same thing. We're like, well, sure, you might have OEL and Hughes, but who's your second pair then? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rathbone and Myers, or which may not Dermot be the, and Ry- Myers. Maybe that's what it is. And 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 is Dermot ready for a top four spot? So your best bet with this blue line, the way it's constructed, unless Jack Rathbone takes a step, is OEL anchors one pair and Hughes anchors the other pair, and that's your top four figured out, and you figure out your third pair. Hey, it's not perfect. It's not the way we want it, but at least we can function this way. Yeah. And unless they get a better option in training camp. And I'm I'm skeptical that they will. We're probably going to see that formation. It kind of reminds me last year too. With there was this talk around Pullman and, and OEL, maybe those guys can be a top four and everything. And it's like no, it's going to be OEL and Myers. Yeah. Pullman can't do that top four job. And uh, I I don't think they they really expected OEL and Myers to be as good as a fit as they ended up being. They played pretty well for much of last season. Mm-hmm. You know, they did have one stretch that was quite bad, but on the whole. They did play pretty well together as a shutdown pair. Uh, all right. Um, that's, uh, that's about all we got on the Canucks today. It's, uh, it's going to be a big week. Yeah. We're going to hear more from the players as the week goes on and they get ready for, for training camp as they head up Thursday uh, for the start of it. Sunday is the first game. But uh, a couple of notes from around the league. I think the, the Philadelphia Flyers are going to be really bad this year, Sat. Oh, yeah. Sean Couturier. Not great. Herniated disc out at least six to eight weeks. He'll be reevaluated then and potentially will have to go under surgery. 
if it doesn't heal up well. Flyers are already in a tough spot. You got Torts calling out the 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 room. They look like they're going to be a bad team. Definitely without Couturier, they'll be a bad team. I just, I don't see any sort of pathway to success for the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, mm-hmm. they're more likely to be in the fight for Bedard than they are for a playoff spot, in my estimation. Well, and, you know, we talked to Frank about this a little bit, too. So if you missed the first hour, yeah. it wasn't just Bo Horvat stuff and Canuck stuff. We actually, we actually, we, we did zoom out slightly and, and ask them what's going on around the league and with the Flyers. They're combustible. Yeah. Because they didn't make a big move. Fans are restless. I follow a few Flyers fans and stuff like that. I mean, they're a hilarious fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really funny and they're pretty, they get pretty heated as well, but they're pretty, they're really funny. And, but they're ready to blow up. Like, they're not happy. This offseason was not what they were expecting. The expectation was with all the big talk, was big moves. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And they kind of just doubled down on the roster, you know? And, Fans are not happy with that. They still want big changes with the front office. I don't know if that happens, but what it screams to me is they'll get off to a decent start because that's what Torch does. Things will start going awry. They'll start unraveling, and the Flyers are going to be forced to make a big change in that locker room because players are not falling in line the way they should under Torch. That would be my prediction uh, sitting here on September 19th about the Philadelphia Flyers. It It is uh, an interesting spot for the Flyers, but that Metro division is just so good. They're, I mean, they're not like a playoff they're, team. They're, they're easily the worst team in that division. Yeah, like Columbus isn't worse than they are. New Jersey's probably going to be a playoff team this yeah, year. Yeah, Columbus got Goudreau. You know? Um, like the Flyers in the Eastern Conference right now, they look like a basement team. So that's, uh, that's going to be a fascinating storyline to play out. But Sean Couturier out six to eight weeks and uh, it's going to have a tough go even then to potentially come back from this herniated disc. Yeah, and all the PTOs being signed around the league. Was Sonny Milano to the Calgary Flames? So, Sonny Milano scored 34 points last year. Yeah. Uh, a lot of really promising underlying numbers. Looked like a player. Yes, he had, uh, you know, some character question marks earlier in his career mm-hmm. but looked like a player that finally found himself as as an NHLer a bit of a guy who can play make off the wing and can do some good things as a middle six type forward I did not expect him to sign a PTO and it's just it's a strange contrast uh Sonny Milano and Jake Vertanen signing PTOs on the same day yeah sad. like one guy I know is a for sure NHLer and is kind of found his way a little bit. And we know the story with Jake as, as much as anything else. Like I just, why why is he getting another NHL look? You know, he was just a guy in the KHL. Never mind the obvious reasons of why he should potentially have to earn his next NHL look. His last year in Vancouver was, was was not good. He he wasn't, didn't show well in his last year in the NHL and didn't show well last year. In the K. Like, he was just a guy but, in the but, KHL. But here's what always happens, Dan. And you know what? Like, w- 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 Edmonton can fight the Vertanen Wars. We've, we've, yeah. that, that's happened and gone. And you know what I mean? Like, Vancouver spent enough time. We spent enough air time on oh, it. Oh, man. All I'll say is, first round picks who can skate, have some size, 
we'll get another chance. We'll get chances, especially guys who scored a little bit, not a ton. We would 18 goals in one year. Those guys in the NHL always get chances at some point, especially first round pedigree, top pick and all that sort of stuff. They always get chances. So not surprised at all. Yeah. That that Jake is getting a chance, so to speak, and we'll see what happens with him. On Sonny Milano, though, um, what this will do, however, is test a few theories on Sonny Milano. Because if you look at some of the underlying numbers, his defensive game was really solid this past year. Yeah. I took a big step. So it begs the question, if a player has taken a step defensively and he's been better and he's providing a little bit of offense and can play on your special teams, why is he signing a PTO? So if he goes to Calgary, a defense of team where Daryl Sutter will not live with your defense, defensive issues. You better buy in. So if he doesn't fit in there, then I think there's some problems with his overall play, even despite some noise with the, with the underlying numbers. But what if he fits in with Calgary and shows that he's a really good hockey player? I think it's a tremendous move by Calgary getting him. And if he, and maybe it's not even about signing there. Maybe he signs somewhere else on a PTO or whatever. But whoever signs him to a contract under a million dollars which is most likely going to happen, it's going to be a really nice depth piece for your team. It's uh, it's a really interesting spot for Calgary, who's got um, you know, Jacob Pelche, they've got really high hopes for. He played in the Young Stars over the course of the weekend, has been really good in the AHL, but they've got a really deep forward group. Uh, who, does, who would Sonny Milano push out of their lineup? I think is uh, one of the storylines of him joining on a PTO with the Calgary Flames. Uh, but really interesting move there and really interested to see how Sonny Milano ends up playing. Um, Sat, I, I don't... What? I don't know how you feel after the weekend, but... Um, what, what happened this weekend? Uh, the Cleveland Browns had a 998 percentage chance of winning the game against the Jets with uh, 155 left in the fourth quarter. Why are we doing this? 99.8 <laughs> probability to win. Yeah. And they didn't win the game. No, they didn't. I, I mean, I, I checked on you yesterday. You did. You you checked on me. I, I, being, But I seen your face right now. <laughs> I, honestly, I, I, I was... When, when Wilson scored the touchdown... Mm-hmm was when I was the most mad. Because yes. at that point, I knew it was over. Like, I didn't get mad at the Brissett interception at the late. I mean, Brissett played a fantastic game. I mean, yeah. credit to Jacoby Brissett. Hats off to you, man. I'm sorry the Cleveland Browns are such a... <laughs> almost said something. Are such a joke yeah. that they couldn't take advantage of one of the best performances you've had as a quarterback. Yeah. And the team should have won that game. I, I can't understand why Joe Woods still has a job today. Yeah, I don't understand why the Browns came back to this season with Joe Woods as their defensive coordinator. Yeah. I don't understand how they go back to the same defensive coordinator who has shown the same inabilities to understand situational football, has had blown coverage after blown coverage be the staple, the trademark of his entire tenure as defensive coordinator, and he's still there as a DC. Yeah. Exact same problems we saw against the York Jets. Blown coverages... Pl- it's you not have even a to, talent issue on the Browns. You have two of the best press man corners in the game, in Denzel Ward and a young Greg Newsom. Yeah. They play zone defense. <laughs> They're playing off Garrett Wilson. I don't understand. If you're in a situation where you have really if, if you have one-on-one defenders yeah. and you have critical moments in a game, why don't you let them do their jobs? Yeah. Why do you make the job harder for them? I don't understand it. 
Like it, it's 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 honestly gross incompetence. It, gross it, incompetence. You know, it wouldn't have mattered if Nick Chubb just did the Brian Westbrook thing. That too. <laughs> There's so many things then. Uh, this is why in the NFL, bad teams stay bad. Yeah. Yes. Very much true. Very much true. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's karma for the Browns. Uh, somebody said to me, somebody's like, well, uh, the Browns are cursed now because yeah. they did. They went and got Deshaun Watson. I'm like, bro, they made the playoffs twice in 23 years. Yeah. They've, they've always been cursed. They've always been cursed. I, uh, I, I enjoyed watching Nathaniel can't hack it. Um, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Man. Do you want to talk about a deer in headlights? Oh my God. They're like... <laughs> when the crowd in your home barn is chanting down the play clock so you don't get another delay a game penalty, you know it's getting real. Yeah. Also, Russell Wilson having uh, all kinds of struggles in Denver is pretty amazing to see, not going to lie. Uh, some fantastic NFL yesterday. We don't have more time to talk about it, but we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for ending the show that way, Dan. I yeah. really appreciate I, it. I'm glad I I'm, sent I'm you home I'm so happy. happy that I'm going to be going home in this. You know how it took me all day yesterday to wear off this rage. I thought you just needed a, a chance to vent. <sighs> vent. I, okay. I'm done. I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Canucks Central, back tomorrow. More on your Vancouver Canucks. And what's happening in the lead up to training camp for producer, Josh Elliott, Wolf, my co-host Satyar Shah. I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening from the Kintech studio to Canuck central.